Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by his hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, it's me again, I'm afraid. I was reminded coming here, I came here, I don't know, last year sometime was it, and spoke, but I, I, I probably told you this before that time, but I remember our son, eldest son, was married in this church, um, and his bride, our daughter-in-law, uh, was, was a bit concerned that she wasn't going to have a grand enough entrance coming up the aisle, and so she asked, would it be possible to actually put the pews back again, having taken them all out? and was told in no uncertain terms that actually wasn't possible, um, having spent enormous amounts getting them out. Anyway, it's great to be here again. 
um, this uh, story of, about Paul, or Saul as he was known then, of course he became Paul later, is a very dramatic one. And he speaks of it again at other times when he gives it more of a personal touch, tells his own story, as it were. And, and if you'd forgive me, uh, this is going to be quite personal to me this morning. I haven't got any great teachings to give you. Um, but I'm going to talk about my own story. Paul's, of course, is the ultimate in conversion stories. Everyone you know, mentions it, the Damascus Road experience. And of course, it was very dramatic and very special. And he was on a journey basically against God, going against God, literally and spiritually. He was running hard in the wrong direction. Although he didn't realize it at the time, he thought he was doing God's work, hunting down and persecuting the followers of this cult called the Way. They became Christians later on throwing them into prison and seeking to have them killed as heretics. But Jesus met him unexpectedly on that road. He stopped him literally in his tracks. Jesus revealed himself to him. His life was turned upside down, if, or perhaps better say right side up. And he became a follower of Jesus himself and went on to plant churches all over the Mediterranean and wrote the bulk of the New Testament. This was his story, but every one of us has a story. And they're just as important and just as precious to God. Mine's a lot less dramatic than that one. But, but in the same way, uh, when I encountered God properly for the first time, it was just a big, uh, as big a change and impact that it happened on, to me. And I see my story in two parts, really. Uh, one, which is my journey to God, and then my journey with God, which has gone on for quite a long year, many years now. So first of all, my journey to God. I was brought up, uh, well, I see my journey as a series of stepping stones throughout my early life, where there were little glimpses and little, little things where God sort of intervened and then... I'll, I'll explain. Um, but each one sort of brought me closer to Jesus and closer to the kingdom. I, I was brought up in a very happy home, a stable home, a loving home, a church-going home, and I learned all the Bible stories and did the you know, Sunday school thing. I was sent away to school at seven and a half, eight, which was far too early as far as I'm concerned. Having said that, it was a very small school, very happy school in a way. Uh, the head was a very high churchman, so I think there were some sort of foundations that were laid through his example. He prepared me for confirmation when I was about 13, and I took that very seriously at the time. Uh, but like many things, it just kind of drifted away. And then I went on to Eton and had to go to chapel every single day while I was there. And that was probably the best way to put me off wanting to have anything to do with God at all. And it drove me away, I felt, from God. I had this sort of image of God sort of in the background somewhere as being generally quite cross with me most of the time. A distant figure that was sort of making a list of all the things I did wrong. I had no concept of him of loving me <clears throat> or even liking me or, or wanting to know me. And so I kind of slightly kept my distance from him. In my mid-teens, my, my parents took me to hear Billy Graham at Wembley Stadium, which is a 
huge affair, and I, I was probably a bit overcome. I have no idea what he said, and I have no idea why I went forward, but I did. Um, and that, I see, as a little tiny stepping stone along the way. Um, after I left school, I got caught up in, in various drugs and promiscuousness, and what I would thought at the time was freedom, you know, freedom from school, freedom from restraint. Um, and um, during that time, a little bit later, I was invited by a friend to go and hear someone speak at the Chelsea Town Hall down the road. Uh, that person was David McInnes, who's become a friend since. Um, but he spoke in a way that I don't think I'd ever heard before, and he spoke of Jesus being a friend and wanting to have a relationship. For me, that was totally new. Uh, and I thought, now that makes sense. I'd, I like the sound of that. So I prayed a sort of prayer of commitment at the end, asking Jesus into my life. And I suppose it was my first glimpse of what a relationship with God was like. But life didn't really change that much. I didn't know how to change. I didn't know how to, to make a for it to make a difference in my life. But what did happen over the next couple of years is that my conscience got worse and worse and worse. And because I had a sort of vague understanding of what the way God really wanted me to live, and I definitely wasn't living in that way, so that there was a sort of conflict that arose within me. Uh, and, and, and I say my conscience got so bad that it got to a point where something had to give, something had to change. I was a bit desperate. And I met, uh, met up with my cousin, who was a, bit, a little bit like my Ananias, he was the person at the right time in the right place. And I talked to him about what I was feeling. And he said, that's strange. I went through very much something very much similar in my own life. And he then invited me to another talk given by somebody called Sandy Miller, who happened to be talking in his flat. I see one or two heads nodding. Uh, and I went to this talk, and it was fine. Um, but what really struck me is looking around at the other Christians who were there, there were a lot of guests, but they were also Christians. And Christians seemed to be full of joy. They seemed to be enjoying being Christians. And I was certainly not enjoying it at that point. And I thought, how does that work out? So I sat down with, with Mickey, my cousin, and, and another person. And they explained to me about the Holy Spirit. Now, that was, again, new to me. I didn't know what or, it or who or anything about the Holy Spirit. And they talked about the Holy Spirit coming into one's life and actually changing one from the inside, changing one's desires and one's whole life and I thought that does also sound good sense and so I prayed to be filled with God's spirit for him to take over really and I have to say that was my equivalent of a Damascus road that's when my life turned right the other way around uh, it wasn't dramatic, but it was incredibly peaceful. It was as if a peace just descended and all that conflict that was going on inside me just dispersed. And this was where my journey with God began. Almost immediately, prayer suddenly became like a conversation with a real person. The Bible suddenly became alive and I felt God was speaking to me through it. And I began to understand for the properly for the first time, the meaning of the cross and how it was personal to me and that God's forgiveness was personal to me. And I began to understand that nothing I could do could earn God's favor or love. It was a free gift that he had given to me. 
I began to understand that there had been a, a gulf or a chasm between, between us which was only bridged by the cross of Jesus. And it was God's initiative that, that the only thing that would solve the problem of human sin was for him to, himself to come and die in our place and take on himself the just punishment that, was, that should have been ours and mine. And it's taking a lifetime and probably more to fully grasp the extent and depth to which God went to bring me, us, back into relationship with him. But he did it. He made it possible to be reconciled. It was for me starting again, literally in that well-worn phrase, being born again. For me, it was, it was repenting as well. It was changing my direction, turning from one way to another, turning right round, and something inside me changed. It wasn't an outward attempt to strive to do the right thing or to be a better person. And before, I was a little bit like a guitar without strings or a phone without a battery, fairly useless, looking much the same on the outside, but not functioning in the way that I was built to function. There was a heart change. My heart was washed and cleaned, and I was set free. And this was real freedom, genuine freedom. With Paul, it was totally unexpected. He wasn't looking for this. It was unexpected. But for me, I think it was, it was I knew I had a need I knew something had to change. I was desperate for it. And he met me in that need and rescued me from something much worse. And I dread to think what would have happened if I hadn't met him, where I would have ended up. I do not know. Some people talk about this change as being like going from black and white to color. But for, and for me, it was more like dark clouds parting and the sun shining through. And as Paul like had scales that fell from his eyes and he could see it. It was for me, again, scales fell from my spiritual eyes, if you like, and I began to see Jesus. I didn't understand it all at once, and I don't pretend I understand it all now. But after I surrendered myself and asked his spirit to flood into my life, I began to understand. It all began to make sense. And I realized that it, it isn't necessary, necessarily a, a need to understand everything before believing. But by believing, by trusting and putting my trust in God, I began to understand. A theory turned into reality. A dead religion turned into a relationship with Jesus. And there were some things that had to go from my life. The promiscuousness, swearing actually just dropped off. I didn't say, well, I've got to clean up my language. It actually just stopped. And one of the very first prayers I prayed was, was to give up smoking. And my wife actually did the same thing. And I'd been trying to give up and, not, and failing and, you know, going to parties and starting again. And I just, I knew I had to give up, but I just didn't know how. And so I, one night, one day, I asked God just to take away the desire to smoke. And one evening I came home <clears throat> And I had an almost brand new packet of Benson and Hedges. They were really nice cigarettes. And I remember being absolutely disgusted by them. And I, I remember breaking the whole thing up, every single cigarette, and throwing them into the waste paper basket and promising God that I would never touch a cigarette again, which is actually quite a rash promise. I wasn't taking into account any what might be the after effects of that. But I promised him that I wouldn't touch another cigarette. From the next day instantaneously I had no desire to smoke 
and I have not touched a cigarette since that day. And for me, that was a demonstration of God's power to change something that I was powerless to change myself. He changed my desires. He realigned my desires, if you like. Some old desires disappeared and new desires were put into place. Desires to please him because I wanted to, not because I thought I ought to. Another thing that changed very soon after that was, was writing songs. I've been writing songs since my mid-teens. and <clears throat> When I'd first in invited Jesus to come into my life, I tried to write songs about him, but I felt sort of too embarrassed and too, I don't know, I just couldn't bring myself to do that. Within one week of praying to be filled with the Spirit, I wrote my first openly so uh, uh, song about Jesus. It was, I seem to remember it was called, Oh to Be Like Jesus. And from that moment on, there was, a, there was a flood of songs that just kept pouring out and out and out. And it was as I devoured the Bible and as I devoured Christian books, I sort of turned everything that I was learning into, into those songs. And it was, for me, a way of just getting it all out. They weren't very good songs, I have to say. I did find the, the, the words for them the other day, and I can't remember any of the tunes, but they were interesting to read because it showed me my thought processes that were going on at that time. They're not sort of songs I would probably sing now, though. But soon after that, I started leading worship. Uh, I formed a, a worship group um, called Cloud, and for many years we led worship at HTB and traveled around the country, uh, making lots and lots of mistakes, because um, there weren't worship bands in those days, so just pianos and organs mainly. Uh, and, but we had this desire, this vision for, for worship, that worship was important, that the presence of God in worship was really important. And so we, we charged around encouraging people to do that. And we also helped start a, a place called The Kitchen, which was uh, near Gloucester Road, where we, uh, it was a place where we invited people to just come, sit and eat, and listen and, and observe and take in the, 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 the atmosphere. There were Christians who were running it and, and ready to sit down and talk to anyone who wanted to. Any questions were allowed, a little bit like the Alpha Supper. Uh, and from then on, <clears throat> I, ca I carried on writing songs and I had, I'm still writing songs many years later. And it's been a sort of continuing journey with God and a, a need to continue to ask to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-off one -off thing. It has to be really every day to be filled again and again and again to enable me to live in the way that he wants me to do. And I'm, you know, I don't always get it right, but every day I ask that he might fill me so that I might, bit by bit, be more like him. And he has shown his, con his faithfulness consistently throughout all, uh, all that time. I'm self-employed, I'm a glass engraver and I have been all my life and, and it's a sort of feast or famine kind of thing and some days I've got lots of work and other days I think help, I haven't got any work and, and so many times we've prayed, Lord I need, I need more work and almost, ev well every time literally every time I've prayed that prayer, work has come in and he's sort of provided for us and helped us to keep going all these years. I'd like to break now and sing a song which uh, I wrote a few years ago, but in a way it slightly sums up what I feel. It's, it's a, a song about gratitude. I think I sang it last time I came here. Um, and if, if I may, I'd like to, to sing it now.
give you a break apart from anything else. The words will come up. There they are. And you can uh, follow along or even maybe sing too. Grateful for your death upon the tree Grateful for the life it's given me Grateful I wasn't turned away Grateful you invited me to stay Right here close to you by your side face to face eye to eye sharing in your purposes seeking out your will learning how to know your voice learning how to follow you Grateful you lift me when I fall Grateful you don't condemn at all Grateful for love so freely shared Grateful my heart has been prepared To be close to you by your side, face to face, eye to eye, sharing in your suffering, sharing in your joy, walking step by step in time, learning how to follow you. Grateful you've known me from the start Grateful your love has touched my heart Grateful I've nowhere else to go Grateful you've given me a home Where I'm close to you by your side, face to face, eye to eye, surrounded by your family, I'll never be alone, learning what it means to be adopted as your very own. Grateful I wasn't turned away Grateful you invited me to stay
talk a little bit about the cost. Because when I had this change in my life, um, there were, I had lots of friends, but quite a lot of them didn't want to know. And bit by bit, they kind of drifted away. Some of them, having, having said that, have got in touch years later saying, actually, could you tell me more about that? Uh, and Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life. In fact, it's, in many ways, it's harder because the, some of the decisions we have to make are tougher. Paul himself had many problems. He was rejected, hated, beaten, chased, and eventually executed. But it's amazing what you can do and what you can put up with when you know that Jesus is right there through, with you through it all. And there are times when he does seem quite far away or even hidden. You know, you pray for something or someone and you wonder where he is. And, and nothing seems to happen. You think, why doesn't he do something? I'm sure we've all got those sort of experiences. But I guess one has to learn to continue purely by faith, believing that he is there even though he doesn't feel near. It's a little bit like clouds that obscure the sun. The sun is there all the time, but the, the clouds obscure our vision of it. Other times, he can be very, very close. I feel his presence and the warmth of his love. Very often with other Christians in a, in a Christian setting or in a time of worship together with other people. There are times when I make silly mistakes, I stumble or fall, I crash around doing my own thing and my own way, and then, but he seems to always pick me up again. He doesn't condone what is wrong or tolerate sin, but he's very quick to forgive when I say sorry. There are times when circumstances seem to conspire against me and against us, but having him as a rock to stand on with our eyes fixed on him, he always pulls us through. I love, I mean, there were so many things said about the Queen's faith over the last couple of weeks, and it was just wonderful to have Jesus being presented to us again and again and again. But one of the things I think was the Dean of Windsor said, that she had an uncomplicated and sincere faith. And I just love that. And I'd love that, you know, if, after I'm gone, I'd love people to be able to say that about me, that I, my faith was pretty uncomplicated, simple, but it was sincere. And it's an ongoing process, of course it is. And one thing that he's trying to do in us is to gradually change us into his likeness. It's a slow process that will go on forever. Uh, and the Bible sort of describes it as bearing fruit that will please him and give him honor. Paul describes this fruit in Galatians. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which of course are the characteristics of Jesus' own nature. He says, against such things there is no law. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's the Spirit that can produce that fruit in us. It's not striving, but continually allowing him to grow in us. Fruit trees produce fruit. They don't strive to produce fruit. They just produce fruit. Nor should we strive to produce fruit, but we need to open ourselves to God's Spirit at all times to allow him to do it in us. I want to pray, then I want to sing uh, one more song before we sing our final song, if that's all right. Just let's pray. Let's be quiet for a moment. And if, if you want to echo this prayer in your hearts, you're very welcome to do so.
I lift my eyes to you, Jesus. I see your arms outstretched to save me. Thank you that you loved me so much that you died in my place. Now I belong to you. I ask you to forgive me for going my own way and ignoring you, following my own desires and not yours. Please come into my life right now and change me from the inside out. Please fill me with your spirit and empower me to live a life that is pleasing to you and that will bring you honor and glory. With gratitude, I receive your saving help today. Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this is a song which I guess some of you may well know. And again, it's a song that really shows gratitude for, for God's goodness all our lives. I think the words hopefully will come up. There we go. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other i've known you as a father known you as a friend and i have lived in the goodness of god all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, it's running after me Your goodness is running after it's running after me With my life laid down I'm surrendered now I give you everything Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after it's running after me With my life laid down I'm surrendered now I give you everything Your goodness is running after It's running after me And all my life You have been faithful 
All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Yes, I will sing of the goodness of God